0: Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is one man's examination of the Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer. Each podcast, I share my first impressions, analysis, and overall thoughts on Rod Sterling's iconic series, uh, one episode at a time. And yes, there we go. Um, however, in this bonus episode series, I will be reviewing the fifth season of the technophobic sci-fi anthology series, Black Mirror, created by Charlie Brooker and produced by Brooker and Annabelle Jones. You can find more of Anthology as well as a full episode archive at anthologypod.com. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. Today on the show, I'll be discussing *Smith*. It's the second episode of Black Mirror's fifth season that appear that premiered on June 5th, 2019 on Netflix. Um, before I get into that, I do want to mention that it has been announced that the, uh, the new Twilight Zone reboot second season will premiere on June 25th. All 10 episodes will premiere on CBS All Access on June 25th. Um, I have the 26th off from work. Um, it just happens to be that that is my birthday, so I'm super excited to just have a day where I'm just watching The Twilight Zone and prepping recordings and doing all kinds of stuff. Super excited. I'll have more information about like the news, about the season and everything, and all the stuff that's out there. Um I'll have more information on that in the next episode of the podcast, where I'll be reviewing the final episode of Season 2 of the original Twilight Zone series, The Obsolete Man. Um Yeah, so before... I get into my review and everything. That's really all the news that I have. Um, there is an Entertainment Weekly article that I'll link in the show notes that I'll be referring to in the trivia section. Um, and in the interim between last episode or last bonus episode and this episode, there hasn't been much news in terms of a new Black Mirror season or anything Black Mirror related. However, Charlie Brooker did um, make a, uh, a statement regarding... Uh, the idea of, of a sixth season of Black Mirror. He said that, uh, he said, quote, he said to Radio Times, um, he said, I don't know what's, what stomach there would be for stories about societies falling apart. Um, so his, his full quote is, uh, let's see. So quoting from the article, um which you can find at Radio Times, I'll put a link in the show notes. When asked about another season, Brooker said, quote, I've been busy doing things, I don't know what I can say about what I'm doing and not doing. At the moment, I don't know what stomach there would be for stories about societies falling apart, so I'm not working working away on and on one of those. I'm sort of keen to revisit my comic skill set, so I've been writing scripts aimed at making myself laugh. Which I can one hundred percent respect. Um because Everything is crazy right now between COVID and the uh, the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests and everything. Everything is crazy. I can totally understand that. And I don't know if we can take a season of Black Mirror um, at this point in our, our history and everything and our, our time. So... Yeah. So more power to Charlie Brooker. Totally respect him for wanting to tap into kind of his comedic sensibilities. And I look forward to seeing whatever he comes out with. I mean, he's, he's fantastic. So I'm hoping that, uh, we see more from him, uh, soon. So before I get into the, uh, without further ado or with a little bit further ado, um, before I get into the review, I do want to mention that I am doing the, um, Patreon recordings for anthology. So I just recorded a like brief, uh, thing for in for anthology on Patreon, which you can go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Minimum rate of one dollar per month gets you access to an RSS feed with not only, um, anthology exclusive Patreon recordings, but Tower Junkies exclusive recordings and obsessive viewer recordings. I think we're up to like 68 or 69. Um recordings there it's like it's a ton of content all you have to do is just pay a dollar per month and you get access to the full rss feed this time on the patreon feed for anthology i by the way it's all one feed so when i say patreon feed for anthology it's just the anthology episode that i did for patreon um i shared my thoughts on alien and aliens and iRobot by Isaac Isimov and upload season one on Amazon Prime. So check that out and follow, thol- or I'm sorry, at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer minimum rate of $1 per month gets you access to uh, all of those recordings. Uh, you get like a special RSS feed that you just copy and paste into your podcast app and it loads up all the episodes. So yeah, so hopefully you guys do that. Um, I like it when I get paid, <laughs> but obviously don't, uh, don't donate or anything if it, you know creates any hardship for you financially or anything so just your listenership is uh, very makes me happy so so thank you for that now once more return
1: your attention to the breath airport yeah terminal three do you work in that place smithereen yeah The sat-nav's shown
2: an accident coming up. Do you mind if I follow an alternate route it's shown me?
1: Your mind may wander. Jesus!
2: Everywhere you look, people are hooked on the things!
1: Simply watch it go. It's a
2: chain-smoking! Calmly, and without judgment...
0: So, okay, Smithereens. Um, plot summary, courtesy of IMDb. Smithereens is about a cab driver with an agenda, becomes the center of attention on a day that rap- rapidly spirals out of control. Of course, I'm going to be spoiling the entire episode starting now, so if you haven't seen Smithereens, go load it up on Netflix, watch it, come back, and listen to my review. So you've been warned. So, uh, yeah, let's go into the talent rundown for smithereens uh smithereens stars andrew scott as chris he um is very like he's he's been very popular um in terms of uh his career so far um he's been in fleabag i haven't i've seen a couple episodes but i haven't seen him i think he appears in season two but um yeah, he's in Fleabag. He makes an appearance in 1917, which I thought was a fantastic movie. Um, of course, he was in Sherlock and Spectre. And he also did a voice, um, performance in the movie Lock with, uh, uh, Tom Hardy. I, that, that movie has a special place in my heart. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I watched that at a very specific time in my life that I really needed to watch it. So it was really good. Uh, co-starring in this episode is Damson Idris as Jaden. Uh, we talked about him in the twilight zone. Um, the reboot he played, um, Dorian in the episode replay, which all I'm going to say, if I, I, I highly recommend going back and watching replay, um, yeah, like, especially now with all of the Black Lives Matter things going on. I've seen a lot of, um, um, I don't know. It, it feels weird speaking about it as a white guy in Indianapolis here. But, um, my, the thing that I kind of keep, com- keep coming back to is that, like, I was really taken with that episode of The Twilight Zone last year. I was really taken with that specific episode. I thought it was the best episode of the season. And I feel like it's more. It's even, it's even more worth revisiting now, uh, given everything that's happened in our world. Um, it's just this amazing piece of writing that really takes, uh, takes us into the, the experience uh, of African Americans in relation to police and authority and just institutional racism. When that episode aired, there seemed to be such a strong kind of reaction from people, uh, assuming that it was just surface level, that, okay, this cop was harassing them, and they needed to figure out why he was harassing them, and we never found out why he was harassing them. My take on it was that he was the embodiment of institutional racism. And one thing that I'll say before I get into my review and everything of of Smithereens is that there was a scene early on in the episode where they first get pulled over by Lasky. And when he pulls, pulls them over, he walks up to the car and he just says to Dorian, do you know why I pulled you over? Or do you, do you know why I stopped you? And Dorian says, because I was going too fast. And just the subtext of that is. Incredible. Like, it's an incredible piece of writing because he is a young man that is going to a he's going off to college and he is destined for presumably destined for great things. He has dreams and everything. And this white embodiment of institutional racism is telling him that he stopped him and Dorian is saying it's because he was going too fast. Like his life is going too fast. He's go. he's not staying in his station that, that the institutional racism has confined him to. So I don't know. Um, check out my review of that. Um, and, uh, yeah. And check out the episode again. I mean, it's just incredible. So, uh, okay. Back to this episode and back to this review. Um, Damson Idris is also in the show Snowfall on FX um, I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things. And rounding out the cast is Topher Grace as Billy Bauer. He obviously is known from that 70s show. He made, uh, he was in, uh, briefly somewhat in Interstellar. Uh, he was also in Black Klansman as David Duke. Really great performance. Um, I do want to give a shout out to one of his, I think is more underseen movies. Uh, Take Me Home Tonight. It's a, uh, Kind of a one night coming of age party movie, uh, set in the 80s. It's got him, Anna Ferris, Chris Pratt, um, Teresa Palmer, um, oh, I can't remember his name, the dude from, uh, from Fantastic Beasts, um, the kind of sidekick guy, um, yeah, but it's it's really, <clears throat> excuse me, it's really fun. Um, and then also Topher Grace is going to appear in episode or in season two of The Twilight Zone in an episode titled Try Try. So I'm looking forward to checking him out in that in a couple of weeks. Um, writer for this episode was Charlie Brooker and director was James Hawes, who also directed season three's Hated in the Nation, which I thought was interesting because that's an episode that's also dealing with kind of the toxicity of social media. So it's an interesting kind of, uh, connection for him, and he is also a producer and a director of at least three episodes of TNT's Snowpiercer remake, which is a show that I haven't watched, and um, I'm kind of on the fence about um, because I like the movie. It took me a while to kind of warm up to the to uh, Bong Joon Ho's movie, but. Uh, I recently rewatched it and I really enjoyed it, but I don't really see the need for it to be a show on TNT of all places. Um, but on the other hand, it's got David Diggs, who I'm a big fan of and Jennifer Conley, who I haven't seen really in much of anything recently. And I'm really excited to see that. So I don't know, uh, maybe I'll check it out at some point. So anyway. All right, so talent has been run down, and I'm going to go into my review of Smithereens. Once again, I'm going to be spoiling this episode, so please don't listen to it if you don't want to be spoiled. Go and watch it, and then come back and uh, listen to my review. Okay, so my initial thoughts that I tweeted out on uh, at OV Anthology Pod on Twitter uh, back when I saw Smithereens last year was, uh, quote, just finished Smithereens. I liked Striking Vipers more, but this handled tension well. As the plot unfolds, I was slightly underwhelmed by the reveals, but absolutely loved Andrew Scott's performance. The show and actors, again, tap into the characters' emotions beautifully. Um And I stand by that. I did warm up to it quite a bit um, in the interim, uh, since I've revisited it countless times in preparation for this episode. Um yeah. And I'll get into that as I get through the review. So I'm going to start out with the first scene. <laughs> so the episode opens, I think it says 2018. Uh, Chris is sitting in his car listening to um, guided meditation audio and he's having flashes of the accident that we'll get to know more about later in the episode. Um, it's in London 2018. And he gets a fare. He's a rideshare driver and he gets a fare and is disappointed when she reveals that she does not work at Smithereen. And she talks about how it's been, how, it, how she wishes she works there because the facilities are amazing and how they have their own spa and everything. Um, which kind of sets it up. I, I really like the way that this episode, um, Divulges its information. Um, we don't know at this point why he's waiting outside Smithereen. We don't know why he wants to get someone who works for Smithereen. And we don't, we don't know anything. And I like how it just kind of guides us into it and slowly reveals his intentions as well as his backstory and ultimately the ending. Um, what happens and Paul also pulling back on what happens exactly. So I like that. We get the sense that he has some kind of traumatic thing going on in his mind. Um he's sitting at a coffee shop and after being visibly disappointed that the woman that he picked up wasn't an employee of Smithereen, he's just sitting at the coffee shop and I really like the way that the sound just amplifies the kind of cacophony of buzzing cell phone cell phone noises around him and how he is just having this panic attack. And like I get that. I get that feeling for sure. Um and he's just kind of freaking out and then uh like as the sound just slowly builds and builds and builds and builds. Um, it's a combination of like beeping and buzzing and uh, just text like, sound effects and everything. It's just, it's a really cool scene. And, uh, then we get, uh, we're getting these kind of vignettes a, a little bit to an extent, and it's kind of slowly bringing us into it. So the next one is him at the support group, and we, uh, we are, we met, we meet, um, the woman whose daughter committed suicide. Um, I did not get her name, but the actress who plays her is very good. Um, she's really good at playing this uh, kind of just really lost um, woman who lost her daughter. And not only that, lost her daughter in a way that leaves her with so many questions. Um, and it's just, it's really, uh, it's really satisfying. And so she, uh, she approaches, um, Chris as they're at the end of their meeting and everything. And he's, he's kind he has this persona about him or this attitude about him where he is kind of, um, very closed off and everything. And I really enjoy his performance there. Andrew Scott does a fantastic job. Uh, he just seems so on edge when she asks him to get a drink and it's so great to see the character, um, in this way, like Andrew Scott plays him as being distracted, constantly distracted. And he's like, um, he's like a hairpin trigger panic character. That's how I have it in my notes, at least. So um, he's like, it just seems like anything, anything could potentially set him off. But it doesn't seem like he's necessarily dangerous at this point. It just seems like he is just on the verge of a complete meltdown. And we don't know if that's self-harming meltdown. We don't know if that's just mental state meltdown or if that's a danger to others meltdown. And yeah, I just, I really appreciate his performance there. So, uh, they go home, they, or they, they hook up, they, they're in bed. And this is where we get like kind of, kind of the heart of the episode, uh, I would say. So the woman is in bed and she's talking about how she, um, um, needed that release and everything. And, um, then she gets a, uh, an alert. So she needs to get up and check the password for her daughter's, um, social media account. Um, I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember the, uh, um, the name of it because it's not Facebook or anything, but it's kind of whatever. So, I just, I love her performance here because you can really tell the character has lived in her horrible, grief-stricken world. Um, and like the scene where she's checking the password and she's wanting to check the password and everything just feels so genuine and so heartfelt and so painful. Um, and it's just, it's there's so much sadness to her checking her daughter's passwords Um because she can't get into the actual, um, into the actual profile. She explains that she can't access the profile without making it a memorial page and by making it a memorial page she will lose all of the inbox stuff and all of the information and everything that she needs to just figure out like get some kind of answer some kind of closure it's not even about finding out like like solving the mystery of her daughter's suicide it's just she wants closure she wants more information than what she could possibly have gotten um or she has gotten in in the time since she, her daughter passed away. And one thing that I noticed that I don't know how intentional this is, but it kind of, um, kind of really kind of struck me was that, um, when her timer goes off telling her that she can check the password again, it's, it's around 12, 15 AM. And I just, I think that that's an interesting kind of, um, element to the, to the show or to the episode that she's checking, like she can check it, um, she t- it times out for twenty four hours, presumably. Um, I think this is what it says when it times out. But um, it times out for twenty four hours, and then she can go in and, and check it again until she it times out again um, because she tries too many times. Um, but it's twelve fifteen, so it's like she is doing like the first chance she get in a new day. She can get in a new day is is to do that, and I thought that was a really nice detail. So um, yeah, so then he leaves in the middle of the night. It just kind of shows that Chris has no connections or he doesn't form connections with people and everything. He is kind of at the, at this point in his life that as we learn more, he's just not a person who wants to have connections or can make connections because of what happened to him, his traumatic past. So then we see Chris pick up Jaden, um, outside of smithereen and Jaden's dressed like very professionally and everything. And that's when uh, Chris uh, Chris eventually very soon says, um, uh, asks asks him if he works at Smithereen, and he's like, "Yeah, I sure do." And so it's on. <laughs> and I really think I really like the um, overhead shot of the car when he changes the route on the GPS. So the camera kind of tilts horizontal, horizontally in a kind of overhead Dutch angle, um, and it just looks really cool and really. Um, Immersive to the story because we know that now is something is happening that we we're, we're not sure what's happening yet. We don't know anything about Chris's plan or anything. Um, we just know that something is about to happen, and so he takes so he takes him to a tunnel or or a bridge, and uh, has him get out of the car. He pulls a gun on him, and they're switching cars. And I love Andrew Scott's freak out when he finds out that Jaden is just an intern <laughs> um, there's kind of this light comedy of Jaden wearing the suit because it's his first week it's kind of comedic kind of punch up of a, of a joke in the, in the script where he's just like it's his first week that's why he's wearing um, <laughs> wearing a suit and then it's kind of undercut by Chris just exploding and his rant about everyone looking like children and how everyone's obsessed with their phones and everything it's, it's great because it establishes that he's this emotional unstable, but also he's this emotionally unstable person. But it also misdirects us into thinking that he's raging against society just because he's sick of everyone being so disinterested or disaffected by everything. And it's in that it's not because of his guilt, like we don't know anything about his accident or anything about his fiance at this point, so we're only left to to imagine that okay, the reason why he's freaking out is that he is upset with society for being so consumed by our electronic devices and and being like he is just so outside of the kind of cultural zeitgeist and everything and uh that's what he's upset about so um. Yeah, but we learn more later, obviously. Uh, so Jaden takes an opportunity to break, take out his phone, but he drops the phone and then he tries to get away. And there's this, there's a moment like, I love this scene where he is, he's trying to get away from the car. He's, he's, uh, zip tied behind his back and he's trying to run. And then the way that Chris and Jaden kind of scuffle in the tunnel, um, it's really kind of thrilling and very suspenseful and everything, but the way that it ends with the camera seeing them center through the back door window. So the back driver side door window um, it's just a really cool very brief shot of Jaden on his knees with Chris pointing the gun execution style and they're framed perfectly through the back window and it's just it's it's really stunning like it's really it really kind of made my jaw drop a little bit just in terms of just the the way that it it kind of flows so naturally and, and their kind of scuffle their choreography and everything just leads them to this really beautiful shot that's only on screen for maybe two seconds um, just really cool, really cool filmmaking I really appreciated that so after the scuffle, Chris tries to put Jaden in the trunk and, uh, Jaden says that he can't. He's claustrophobic and everything. So Chris lets him sit in the back seat. And at this point, I kind of wondered, is that because he's compassionate and that he's, he's completely out of his element as a kidnapper, hostage taker? Or is it because Jaden is causing such a racket that he just wants to, like, it's too much of a bother to convince him? Uh, and are those two sides of the same coin? Is it, is he too bothered to, to, be kind of this imposing person on him, um, because he's not that person or is it because he's just compassionate and he's just like, oh, well, okay, that's fine. You can send the backseat. So they leave the tunnel or the bridge or whatever. And, uh, there's another cool overhead shot as they drive. It's not as I don't remember it being as like cool as the Dutch angle overhead, but it's pretty cool nonetheless. And that's when like now we're getting to the point. We're getting to, uh, all the pieces are starting to fall into place as they stop, they pass by this gas station and a police officer sees Jaden in the backseat with the sack on his head. And I'm to kind of skip ahead a little bit or, or to kind of try to mine some information out of this. I kind of wonder if Chris's original plan was to take. Jaden to his mom's house. Um, because later on, the police say that it's not far from where they ended up in the field. Um, so I'm kind of curious if that was his overall plan. I feel like that has to be. But anyway, so the police follow him, pull him over. And what I noticed here that I thought was interesting was that Chris speeds away the second that the officer sets foot out of the car. And my immediate thought was like, okay, come on, man. Like, at least wait for the officer to approach the car, like, like, so that they have to run back to the car and everything. And so I kind of, at first I kind of wrote that off thinking like, okay, well, that's kind of silly. But I think that more, that more demonstrates how much of a (laughs) person, how, how, how much of a criminal Chris is not. Um, Chris is not a criminal. He didn't wait until she was fully out of the car because he doesn't, his mind doesn't work like that. He's not a career, career criminal. He's not someone who is doing this because of a thrill seeking thing, or he's not, do, he has a principled reason for doing this, Um, not to excuse it or anything, but it is, he is, he has more, Thoughts on his mind than getting away with it. He just wants to get on the phone with Billy Bauer. We don't know that yet, but we will soon. So he continues driving. We have the speed, the high speed chase. It's fine. Um, it's kind of filmed conventionally, um, kind of on the on the side of the cars and everything. It's it's fine. But he swerves to miss some kids on bikes and crashes his car into the field. And uh, I like that we kind of revisit the kids a little bit later. They're they're. It's a really good balance for the show to do this kind of, like, very small characters, not small because they're kids, but, like, small characters in the scheme of the episode, but these kind of small, like, not important characters that they revisited kind of give texture to the story and give texture to the world that they're building in this, in this, like, hour-long drama. And I also really thought that it was kind of poetic and kind of, kind of poetic, but almost... Almost in like a way too overt sense, but it was kind of poetic that he's in a field and there's power lines over him. Uh, when his big thing is like social media is controlling everything, like I guess that's a far stretch from like electricity, but I don't know. There's something there, I think. So they're in the car. Chris and Jaden are in the car. They've crashed. The police are at, the, at a distance. Now everything is starting to gun is about to ramp up in the hostage kind of situation. And I really liked that Chris employs this kind of calm tone when he is improvising his new plan. Um, like he's trying to, he's thinking about everything, like he's, he's sizing everything up. He's trying to figure out like what his ne- next step is. And he's very calm and collect and he's very, like his, his tone is very almost gentle to an extent. But then when Jaden says that he left the phone in the other car, when Chris wants to take his, take his phone to call his boss or whatever, so that they can get Billy Bauer on the phone. He freaks out. Like it's, it's like a, a onset of instant panic attack. He's screaming. He pounds the pounds, the wheel a few times. Um, and and then he just almost completely just reverts back to the calm voice before warning Jaden not to try anything. Um, and it's this erratic ebb and flow of his tone. That's just so great. And it's something that Andrew Scott just nails so perfectly. Um, so, because he's, he's clearly unstable. He's very much an unstable person committing this crime and putting people in danger, himself and Jaden in danger, specifically so he can get what he wants. Like, this is a criminal act and everything, and there's no excusing that. But he's, it, the gentleness of him and the kind of complete improvisation of his criminal act makes it so that we're comfortable enough rooting for him because he's clearly not too far gone like he's very unstable he's very erratic he's very dangerous at this moment but he's also not too far gone and that's something that i think is really helpful for the episode and for the viewer because we can still sympathize with him and we can still be in a place where we can kind of be comfortable like listening to his story and not writing off like this thing is a criminal act and everything. And on the flip side, Damson interest is playing Jaden in a really good way. Like he's playing this kind of innocent, but panicky hostage. And it's very, it's very much like, uh, just expounding energy as best he can. (laughs) Um, but without, with the knowledge that he's with an erratic person who could harm him or kill him. And I just, I really appreciated his performance in this because it's very much just counter to Andrew Scott's, uh, demeanor and his his energy and i felt like this was just a very different role for damson idris than replay was in the twilight zone last year um i just really i just really dug it i really liked it also it's really interesting uh damson idris was in two science fiction uh uh anthology shows in one year in which he spends a considerable amount of time in a car and um under threat of, of death from an individual. So I thought that was interesting, but anyway, um, so things are escalating more. We're getting, we're now getting into the smithereen aspect of the story. So Penelope Wu, um, the CEO of smithereen is jogging and she gets the news. She gets a call and then she kind of gets, gets up to date with what's going on. And then she continues jogging to the facility and, Okay, so she she obviously reacts and processes what's happened, but I thought I thought it was really interesting that it just shows that she's because it's so far removed from her and her life, she doesn't let it spoil her exercise. Like it doesn't stop her in her tracks. Like she's she sits, she's receptive to the information, she listens to the information, and then she just resumes her jogging. Like it's not like a an immediate like Terrible thing that's happening, or it's not this immediate, like, panicky thing because she's removed from it. And I think that that's a really interesting statement about social media and everything. It's something that Black Mirror has worked, has worked with in many episodes. Like, I'm thinking of, um, oh, wow. What was the name of the episode? The, um, uh, the downvoting episode. Wow. Oh, crap nosedive, nosedive. It was the, the episode was nosedive. Um, but it plays on that. And, uh, we, we get that kind of, um, uh, that kind of dynamic and, and that kind of, uh, storyline and, uh, theme, thematic element in nosedive. And maybe, a I don't know, maybe a little bit of shut up and dance, but, um, we do get, the show does play with that element uh, quite a bit uh, throughout its history. Just that disconnect and everything. Also, Hated in the Nation is a big one for that. So, we get back to the scene of the hostage scene, uh, the, uh, standoff is the word I'm looking for and more police arrive, including David guilt, uh, who is the negotiator. And this episode does such a great job of showing just the ineptitude of the police and the ineffectualness of police procedure in an in an overly open and digital world, so like we go through this episode, seeing this dichotomy of police procedure and social media access. So, Smithereen has access to tons more information about Chris than the police ever do, and they immediately get as much information as they can from from him, while the police are completely baffled, completely behind. Um, and it's just kind of this old. It's kind of this um this old style like investigative kind of thing for the police that they're going through, like they're going to his house and they're looking at his, at his pictures and everything while smithering has just complete access to his social media and they can see everything and they could deduce what his plan is or what his, what his, um, what his reasoning is, what his, what his complete motive is for this or what the motivation for this crime was. And, uh, I do appreciate that when they're talking to him over the phone and they put him on hold, Uh, the, the playlist that they play is called a stress buster playlist. And, uh, in it, they, uh, they play, uh, can't take my eyes off of you, which is the song that plays over the end credits, uh, to good effect. But I mean, try as they might, I don't think Black Mirror can ever top heaven is a place on earth as the end credit song on San Junipero. I just don't think they can do it. They keep trying to do it but I don't think that they can top it because that was just perfect. But I will say kind of spoiler for the end of the review can't take my eyes off of you is a pretty good solid choice for it. So Um where Penelope and smithereen, are getting more information about Chris, the part where they are completely not working, um, is the kind of armchair negotiation and armchair negotiator tactic. So Penelope, uh, Wu, uh, tries to be a negotiator and fails miserably. She mentions, this is kind of a bit of good comic relief, but she mentions that I'm actually the COO of, of smithereen. And, uh, Chris just doesn't like it shuts down completely. He's, he just doesn't, he's not messing around. And, uh, yeah, so they put him back on hold and this way they, uh, they set it up to where they can hear his side of the conversation, which is a big, you know, it comes into play later. And it's an interesting kind of dig at kind of big brother and and this idea that, you know, people can listen to you at all times. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really kind of. I don't want to say prescient because it's not prescient. It's just fact of life. Like this is what we're living in these days. And that's something that I think is really special about this episode of Black Mirror is that it is present day. It is completely um, uh, at the the mercy of current day technology. Um, In that scene where they show uh, that they've put Chris back on hold, there's a funny autocorrect joke on the display of the kind of – Text text readout of what's said on the call um, because he says I'm not fucking messing around but on the on the screen it says ducking messing around I thought that was pretty funny um, so kind of going back from back and forth between Smithereen and the police uh, the police are in Chris's mom's house and we see kind of the standard like bills all over the table everything is a mess and in disarray that feels kind of standard and I kind of feel like maybe that's the point because this episode is not too kind with police procedure, and it is playing up this kind of, I don't want to, I want to, I want to stay away from the word corny, but it is very much this cliche kind of just rudimentary kind of police procedural kind of dynamic. And it just feels kind of standard. And I feel like that's intentional because it's showing how, again, inept the police force is in this scenario and how much more information can be gleaned from just social media in general and how, People are just free, freely putting things out there on the internet, um, that, you know, people can find. Um, then back at Smithereen, uh, Penelope tells the police that Chris lost his fiance. And there's an interesting juxtaposition here that kind of furthers this kind of, um, this, this whole, uh, theory that I have that it's about, you know, social media versus police and police procedure not working while social media and, and digital kind of Data mining is key to everything here in this scenario, but Smithereen highlights when they're talking to the police about, about. Uh, Chris losing his fiance they're highlighting the grief and depression that they're gleaning from his uh, from his social media presence while the moron police think that it's about status and Chris wanting to talk to Billy Bowers because Billy Bauer is the same age as Chris and Billy Bauer has everything and Chris has nothing and it's just completely disaffected it's completely distant from the actual human element of it and uh, that's something that's at play in this episode throughout the entire episode and I really appreciate the episode for del- delving into to this kind of dynamic, um, so after this, this is when David, the negotiator, gets uh, uh, gets really up up into the idea of being the negotiator, and he calls Chris, and Chris sees through the negotiation tactics that he is employing from the outset, and it's just it's almost comical if the scenario wasn't so uh, intense, but it just further shows how inept the authorities are in this scenario. And there's this comedy play, uh, this comedy at play where Chris is asking us if David is the negotiator and David is responding with kind of modesty to kind of de-escalate things. And uh, all while he's wearing a vest that's literally labeled negotiator. <laughs> um, so Chris immediately just sends him away and just completely just shuts him down. And it's just, it's an interesting show of dominance on Chris's part for someone who, up until now has not been, you know, has been demonstrated as not being a criminal, um, or not having that kind of key thing, but he is asserting his dominance and sends, uh, sends David away immediately. And it, I think that that more shows the ineffectualness of the police rather than Chris being kind of more unstable and unhinged, but. At the same time, it's not necessarily an indictment of authorities. It's just highlighting the human element of the situation and how David is not treating him like a human being. Um, he is doing textbook crap. And so at this point, we're about 45 minutes into the episode, and we're we're taken to Furnace Valley, Utah, where Billy Bauer is at his retreat, which uh it seems kind of silly, I guess. Or I mean it's it's it is what it is. It's kind of like the most like tech billionaire, kind of weird kind of thing. Like he's having this complete, uh, this complete, uh, meditative thing where he's, he's blocking everything out and, and only meditating. I mean, it's something like Jared Leto did the same thing and then came back and learned about COVID. But, um, anyway, it's just kind of, um, Shows kind of the machinations of of the tech industry, I think. Like, when we see that close-up of Billy Bauer's face, where he's just, like, completely shut down and everything, I kind of wonder if that's supposed to imply, like, he's, you know, this faux-humanity kind of thing that's more consumed by technology. I don't know. I'm grasping at all the straws there. That's There's probably nothing there. So... As we're kind of getting more into the episode and everything, we do get lots of flashbacks showing Chris's fiance as he's thinking about her. And it's kind of him recentering himself in in a sense. And in this moment, we see Jaden try to be nice to Chris. And what I really appreciate about this episode, even though we do do some kind of cliched um, police procedural stuff, here in the car with Jaden and Chris, it's not about it's not like some big Stockholm syndrome arc. Like he, Jaden just seems genuinely curious and genuinely caring about what Chris has gone through. And he wants to try to be nice to him. Mostly. Yes, it is probably because his life is in his hands and everything, but also it just seems like a genuine kind of curiosity and genuine kind of comforting kind of thing, which is something that is so missing from really all of black mirror to an extent or most of Black Mirror. I should talk I should walk that back. But again, I just like that it's not this big Stockholm Syndrome arc. Like we don't get the big um the big moment where where Jaden is on Chris's side or anything. It's not as black and white as that. And I really appreciate the episode for that. So Billy Bauer is talking to his assistants and everything and the people at Smithereen and he wants to talk to Chris and this was an interesting thing. I really like Topher Grace's performance here because it partially seems like he genuinely wants to help the situation and completely, you know, diffuse everything. And it also partially seems like he has just this giant god complex. Um and he mentions something about how he feels like he needs to do this he he wants to talk to chris and penelope on the other line says i don't think we can trust feelings on this and i thought that this was a really good line billy says well maybe that's part of the problem and i thought that that was really just it cuts to the heart of the episode that they're not trusting feelings on it they're they're looking at it as a textbook example they're not looking at it as a human element of it they're not looking at it from the from the uh from the lens of protecting their um, their employee or talking this person down from doing something heinous or anything. They're talking about it as in terms of how it's going to affect the company and how it's going to reflect their shareholders and everything or their, their shares or whatever. Um, it's just, it's really, I just like that that line just kind of cuts to the heart of it. So to kind of quell Jaden's nerves and everything, Chris tells him that the gun isn't real. And this is a point where we get kind of a more dramatic tension release, kind of escalation and then release. So the police hear it over the, over the call with smithereen and the kids overhear that. So that overhear that through the police radio because they're nearby. And I really like the way that they're disappointed when they hear that the gun isn't real kind of shows a disconnect with kids and, and, you know, violence and everything. Um, so they post on social media and then Chris sees the post on social media. So it's a very interesting, just like escalation and, and, uh so many balls juggling in the air uh cuz the police are moving in chris sees the social media post so he fires a warning shot and the police fire back but they only clip chris in the in the arm so it's a very intense moment it comes by pretty quickly and uh it's just it's it's really um a good way to kind of relieve some of the tension and stuff and it brings us to billy um so billy responds to this by wanting, uh, wanting to talk to him. Like it's kind of this weird thing where Billy's like, okay, I've got to talk to him. I've got to, I've got to talk to him. He's got this kind of adrenaline, adrenaline fueled glee to him. Um, because he wants to talk to him. He wants to control the situation. He kind of sounds like a, like a bench warmer wanting to play and be pulled into the game. So, uh, Penelope says, you can't expose yourself to that. And I thought that was really interesting because it's just all about protecting the company from her perspective. And it's just a really interesting, another, another interesting way to show that the story disconnects from reality in an interesting way. Um, and I thought it was really charming. Like the, the kind of comedy thing is, is not played too hard in this episode, but Billy introduces himself to Tippy, the assistant who like came to him. Um, and it's just, it's really charming. And he mentions like, you know, uh, hi Tippy." Well, uh, the benefit of being me is that every now and then I get to enact God mode. And then he goes into the, goes into the matrix kind of thing. Um, and he gets Chris's number and he calls Chris and, um, when he first calls him like this, I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it's a good visual kind of flair. But when Billy asks Chris to let Jaden go on the phone call, um, he walks behind the window and he just completely disappears from the screen. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not sure what that means, but it's a good visual. And I kind of wonder if maybe it's Billy wasn't being human with Chris in that moment. So we don't see him as a, as a person. We don't see him at all when he says that because he's not speaking to him as an individual. Um, that's my kind of, thought. So Chris bears his soul to Billy after uh, in further in the call and Andrew Scott is just absolutely brilliant in this scene the emotion that just pours out of him as he's coming to clean about him, about what happened and everything is just some really just high caliber acting and the entire episode hinges hinges on us buying this scene and Andrew Scott knocks it right out of the park it's just it's really incredible like his when he's telling him about when he's telling Billy about the accident and everything. It's just it's remarkable. Like I just adore this scene so much. And when we get the flashbacks to what happened, there's this dreamlike aesthetic to the driving flashback and everything. And it, it works. Like the crash itself is intense and overall it's fine. Like it's intense. It's it's clearly like a big budget set piece and everything. But I really prefer the kind of dreamlike quality of the filming, the cinematography, the lighting and everything of this scene before the crash because it is very much prov- evocative of this kind of dreamlike state that Chris was in that he's he's tired he's he's sleepy he's sleepy behind the wheel and everything and it's this memory that is always foggy and everything so i just really enjoyed that visual flair to it so after he bears his soul penelope messages billy with these hacky ass psychologist talking points. And I love that Chris just calls him out for it. Um, It's almost like a betrayal. Chris is like, I thought we were having, like basically Chris is saying that he thought that they were having a conversation and he's just like, don't, don't treat me like I'm just nothing. And Billy immediately relents and levels with him. And Billy and Chris are, they're kind of, they're really interesting. They are two sides of maybe not the same coin, but they're both Zen-like and uh, contemplative contemplative and uh, meditative and everything. Um, and so they have this frank conversation where Chris says that you make these things this way, you make it addictive. And Billy says, well, it wasn't supposed to be like this. And he goes in to talk about uh, kind of how it, it, it spirals and everything. And at that moment, I, uh I just I really appreciate this episode because this is an episode that of a science fiction anthology show that is free of science fiction like it doesn't need a science fiction twist on it because we're living the science fiction twist like this is very much like and en- like endemic of our entire world like it is it is what we're living today and to have it in a science fiction show even though in the EW article I'm going to reference later um Chandler Brooker does like kind of say like, well, we don't know what we are, um, but it is a science fiction show for the most part, and it's just really good. It's a really good level of commentary on our on our current day life in this episode that is so different from the other episodes because it's not painting this futuristic kind of thing. It is here and now, and we are seeing the effects of what we are in, like a world we're in and how disconnected it makes us from other human beings. And then uh, it's funny because Billy goes into this that whole spiel about smithereen and how it exploded and everything, and it's just spiraled. And then Chris's response was, I just, I don't give a fuck. Um, and he says, I, I just wanted to say my piece. I'm going to go now. And this is where the episode kind of gets into more of an emotional kind of state because Chris is going to kill himself. And it's just really... I wouldn't even say dark, despite, despite the content, there's this glint of optimism in this episode. Like Chris is going to kill himself. He's announcing to Billy that he is going to kill himself. And so Billy's response is to offer to do anything for him. And the optimism of it is that Chris is, Chris just gets him to give the password to his grief hookup. Um And it's just this really interesting kind of, it all comes to a head in this very human kind of interaction between Chris and Billy between smithereen and uh, the woman that he hooked up with and between Chris and Jaden. So Chris is, Chris is leveling with Billy. Billy is offering anything he can just to do anything for him, just so that he can have peace of mind and everything. And Chris is taking that offer to, have to do something good or kind to a woman that he doesn't know that well. And then Jaden is trying to prevent Chris from killing himself. And again, it's not like a Stockholm syndrome kind of thing. Um, he's just trying to, he's just ex- exhibiting human empathy in a world that's run on narcissism. And I think that that is an incredibly powerful moment, an incredibly powerful statement, um, that this episode is making, b- making because the world is full of narcissism and everything. And we, like human beings, kind of, one of the darker points that this episode is, is making and one of the darker points that Black Mirror as a whole kind of makes throughout its run is that we as humans have forgotten how to think about other humans. And here we have a scene where a human being is thinking about another human being and trying to prevent that human being from doing something harmful. Um, And it doesn't go well. Um, uh, Chris says, that's very kind of you, but I don't want to be here anymore. And that's kind of the end of it. Like They struggle and everything. The police give give the order to shoot. We hear the shot ring out. We don't know what happens. And I really like how kind of the dark twist of the episode is that society wins out. Um, one or both of them are dead, and the kind of bleak, dark, uh, uh, bleef, uh, wow, the wow, the bleak black mirror ending we get is that the world goes on with just a glance at their phones. We, we get all of the shots of people just looking at their phones, not paying attention to their surroundings or anything. And then the last scene of the episode is incredibly like just powerful and poignant and and um painful even because we we've gotten this we've gotten throughout the episode or at least from four, 45 minutes on, we get this very human depiction of Billy Billy Bauer, this tech billionaire person who is godlike or has this god complex. And he is trying, he does everything he can to help a person. And then when he can't help that person or when that person, presumably, he fails at that, Billy just goes back to his isolated retreat. And that's the end of the episode. Like, he's just going on with his life as society is going on with their lives when they read about whatever happened. And kind of the dark twist is that we don't know what happened. Like we're deprived of that. Um, deprived of the knowledge that the characters in the story, uh, are privy to. And I kind of uh, enjoy that quite a bit. So overall, I just really enjoyed Smithereen. uh, smithereens. I, I thought it was a really, really good episode. It, I said that I liked striking vipers more, but I think they might be kind of neck and neck. um, Depending on my mood, either one could have been my favorite of the season of these three episodes and everything. We'll talk more about Rachel Jack and Ashley too later, but I really enjoyed this story and this kind of very much contemporary Black Mirror episode. I just, I just really appreciated it and the acting throughout the entire cast is just phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. So, trivia for this episode, at 23 minutes and 26 seconds, there are a ton of easter eggs. So, we're at the Smithering office. We see this giant wall screen behind a reception desk or information desk or whatever that has just a massive social media feed displayed. And I paused it and I went through all of the things. So, uh, there is a reference to Prime Minister Callow, who is the Prime Minister in season one, episode one, the national anthem. And there is, there are several hashtags in the social media posts. Um, Gimu announcement, which is a reference to playtest from season three. Um, and then say to X Netflix, um, which is a reference to playtest or maybe also, um, striking vipers, um, as well, And then there is a reference to Ashley O. Wembley, uh, which is a character from Rachel, Jack, and Ashley 2 uh, in the next episode. And there is a hashtag for Sea of Tranquility Reboot, which is a reference to the Sea of Tranquility TV show that uh, is referenced in Nosedive in Season 3. And finally, there is a hashtag that just says Hashtag Tucker, which I think is a reference to the TCKR... Um, technology in several episodes, really. Um, other pieces of trivia, um, while we see, while Chris is waiting at Smithereen, a location shown on his app is on Skillane Street, which is a reference to Victoria Skilane, who is the main character of uh, the episode White Bear, which I'm actually wearing as I record this. I'm wearing my White Bear Justice Park um, Enjoy the Show t-shirt. So I got off of tpublic.com. And, uh, let's see. And then there's also, apparently, I didn't see this. I just saw this online, but apparently there's a location shown on the app that's called Bandersnatch Theater, which is obviously a reference to Black Mirror Bandersnatch, which came out uh, a couple years ago. And let's see. Um, okay. And then the last piece of trivia is that one of the names shown on the phone, um, is from Smith from uh, on the phone of one of the people from Smithereen is Nate Packer. Nate Packer is the name of a character in USS Callister uh, from season four. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, again, there is an, an Entertainment Weekly article um, by James Hibbert from June fifth, twenty nineteen, where they inter- where he interviews Charlie Brooker and Annabelle Jones. Um, yeah, so there there's some good stuff in it. I'll put a link in the show notes to kinda just give an overview of it. They talk about how um this episode feels like uh like it's it's very much indicative of the way Black Mirror was in like in the early days and the way that the interviewer asks it is that uh he says in some ways this felt very much like the type of story you might have done the first two seasons back in Black Mirror's British indie rock days. <laughs> Which I, I appreciate that. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, Charlie Brooker agreed and everything. And he said, uh, we knew we wanted to do a contemporary episode without any sci-fi elements to it. And uh, he said that... Uh, aside from National anthem and this episode, he thinks that Shut up and Dance is also kind of feasible as a as a modern contemporary episode and everything um, and Then he goes on to say that we like to do these every so often because it rem- it reminds the viewer and it reminds us that we are not necessarily a science fiction show. I don't know. I don't quite know what we are. And then Annabelle Jones says, quote, we're tapping into contemporary worries and concerns and themes and observations about how we live our life and extrapolating from them so they should always feel relevant. So, yeah, and then they go on to talk about the kind of ambiguous ending. I'll leave that for you to check out in the article itself. Um, for me, I really dug this episode. I really enjoyed the ending and I thought that it was really an interesting kind of exploration of human compassion and empathy in a world where, you know, we're consumed by social media and we're consumed by, by just our constant validation from social media and from, from the internet and everything, just uh, like having the world at our fingertips at all times is really just killing our capacity for human empathy. And this is something that the episode really, um, uh really kind of plays with in a very unique way um and really satisfying way in my, in my opinion. So yeah, that'll do it. That's my review of Smithereens. Um, stay tuned. I will be back with my review of season two, the season two finale of the original Twilight Zone, The Obsolete Man. Cannot wait to talk about that episode. I'm so excited for it. Um, and then after that, I'll do a season wrap up, hopefully with, uh, with a guest. And, uh, yeah, and then I'll finish out season five of Black Mirror with Rachel, Jack, and Ashley too. Um, like I said, next episode on the, on the main feed, I will be, uh, talking more about the news about the new Twilight Zone reboot, uh, season two news and everything. So I'll go through that, uh, before I review The Obsolete Man. And I think what I'm going to do since, since the t- if the timing works out, I think what I might do is take a short break between seasons two and season three of the original Twilight Zone. That way, I can really focus on just doing the new season of the new Twilight Zone. Since they're all dropping at the same time um, on June twenty fifth, hopefully, I'll be able to get through all of those and then and then work and get to work on season three of the show as well. So yeah all that's to come thank you guys for supporting me and thank you guys for listening and uh, really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and hope you guys stay tuned for the obsolete man um, once again you can check me out on Twitter at OV anthology pod and you can go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and uh, subscribe at the minimum rate of one dollar per month for access to a special RSS feed with content recorded specifically for patreon supporters including uh, some uh, anthology related content that I'm I am starting to churn out whenever I record one of these episodes. So, uh, yeah, that'll do it for me. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next time. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you, and enjoy! There's so many good things about it. It's just, mm-hmm.
2: it's it feels like it was really lacking in in story and cohesiveness. It didn't yeah. it didn't gel well. But you know, vignettes like you said. But right. uh, there's definitely a lot of stuff to like about it.
0: Yeah, and it's the same kind of structure as iRobot, which I just recently watched and earlier in this Patreon, uh, our patrons will have heard me talk about it. But um, the thing, like, I prefer iRobot over Foundation because iRobot is like a collection of stories about robots and it's spanning like the, um, kind of evolution of robotics in this future, future world that Asimov is creating, which, mm-hmm. um, from what I understand the the universes are linked, like it's the same universe, like the fountain foundation universe is the same universe as the, the robot series universe and everything. But anyway, um, what's cool about that is that you actually follow like the evolution of robotics and everything. Whereas with foundation, it's like you are bouncing around and like, it's, it's demonstrating and, uh, introducing you to so many different, like big, like big idea concepts and everything. That's good. But it's also like, honestly, it like it needed, like it, it felt like it needed like 500 more pages, <laughs> And yes. More direction. So, yeah, I've right. eaten it up for sure, but it just felt uh-huh. a little bit uh flash in the pan, I guess. So.
2: Definitely. And I I did like I said the the sort of major themes that kind of bubbled up throughout it, I think were really fascinating and like there's sort of some kind of like I said it's very political, but I feel like yeah. it's very it's sort of uh like a libertarian kind of book like um yeah. I feel like it's a very, it's very much, you know, there's the whole concept of the empire Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's also very poignant for, for the time us being, you know, Americans and we're kind of part of an empire, you know, whether you want to call it that or not, we kind of are. Um, And it sort of feels like we're coming to a bit of a precipice, you know, that could topple over in our lifetimes. Um, And, and that's a theme that's, kind of the onus for the story of mm-hmm. foundation that this empire is going to collapse.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and, and the stakes are way higher <laughs> right. um, in the book than we are experiencing now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, far. Uh, <laughs> so far, what's that? So far, so far. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, I just love the idea that everyone has this dedication to the status quo and that like, so many empire type people are the characters are just you know they they just cannot wrap their heads around the idea that the empire is going to fall and they like yeah. you can mathematically predict that it's going to happen and stuff mm-hmm. like that um you know it's it, that, that that's a fun theme to play with yeah. and I, I like the idea that it's presented as a mathematical idea i like that too and like based on science and i it, 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 i like it because there, there's an unfortunate trend in our mm-hmm. society amongst certain people to politicize science and, and yeah. to ignore science based on politics and emotion and stuff that's not concrete. And, and this book explores that idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's without spoiling it, you know,
0: right. Um, like yeah, the, it's cool. the whole like concept of like the encyclopedists and I think that's what they were called. And like the, the kind of what happens in that chapter, like where like more when stuff is more revealed at the end of that, like I was very interested in that. Um, right. But it kind of didn't have that payoff for me toward the end. Um, I did really like that scene where the emperor went into the bunker and turned off the lights. um, that yeah was that cool. was cool as shit <laughs> <laughs> do, do you get it <laughs> I do <Okay. laughs>
1: anthology is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com for a full archive of our episodes go to anthologypod.com slash archive you can also like the facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod and follow the show on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. Official Anthology merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, can be found in the Obsessive Viewer's Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at anthologypod.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about the Obsessive Viewer's annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out ShocktoberinIrvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to ObsessiveViewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at ObsessiveViewer.com, and on Twitter, at Obsessive You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and co-host Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower Series, over at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. Bumper music for this podcast comes courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com as good as it gets band. You can also find as good as it gets music on Spotify, Google Play, and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.